This Tennis.com podcast is brought to you by ASICS. Sound mind, sound body. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Takeaways from the Terabit 2. That is the topic of discussion today on the Tennis.com podcast. I'm Ed McGrogan, here with Richard Pagliaro, uh, Pete Bodo, and Steve Tigner, who you've been following through most of Roland Garros, are uh, in transit over the Atlantic, I can only imagine. So Richard and I are going to uh, take down this podcast here in the States. We just got finished, of course, watching the tournament like all you. Um, the winners, Rafi on the doll on the men's side, Lena on the women's. Um, we're going to talk about sort of main themes today from each from each tour, and we'll start with the men's. Richard, I'm going to give you three sort of options and, and whatever you think might be the most you know, significant uh, thing to come out of the French Open here. For the men, I think we can talk about the big three and each of the things they did here. Um, Novak Djokovic's streak gets snapped, 43 matches, first loss of the year. Uh, you have Roger Federer, who I think more than anything, his performance sort of reminds us that it's really sort of silly to count him out of anything, and we sort of pushed him back to you know a distant contender, but that was clearly not the case as it, as it all bore out. And then, of course, there's Nadal, who wins his sixth French and uh, really comes back from a sort of a distressing early part of the clay season after Monte Carlo Barcelona. He gets beaten by Djokovic twice and then almost loses in the first round at Roland Garros. So you know, which of those sort of themes do you see as the, the number one takeaway from the French Open? I think all, you know, all the themes you mentioned are really compelling. For me, the number one thing is... Nadal solidifying his status as, you know, an immortal all-time player. I mean, 10 majors at the age of 25. This guy's won four of the last five majors. He's contested, obviously, tying Borg's record with six French Opens. And I think you hit on, on the key point. A lot of people thought he not only was beaten by Djokovic in Madrid and Rome, that he looked for the first time a little bit indecisive and confused as to how to play him. So people weren't even – a lot of people were picking Djokovic to win that tournament. So I think, as you said, for him to come through Isner in five, down two sets to one, and then progressively to play better against the world number five, Soderling, the world number four, Murray, and number three, Federer. I mean, for me, that's that's just Nadal solidifying his status, who, who he is, and anybody who had doubts. And I think you could say the same thing. For Federer, because a lot of people were already sort of shoving him like, hey, he's three and falling. And I think he showed you that for, for the big moments, for the big ma- – I mean, that's one of the best play clay court tournaments I've ever seen Federer play. And the Djokovic match is maybe the best clay court match I've ever seen him play. Yeah. Um, for Federer, I mean, when you, when you think about – he's now reached five French Open finals, which is a – He's only won one, of course, but not a lot of people are going to mention that he's reached five, right. and and right. that's such a, you know such an impressive number on on its own right there. Um, and then going back to Nadal, it's such a big win too when you 
think about the the eventual race that's that's really shaping up between him and Federer with the Grand Slam titles. If Federer wins that final, um, he takes a seventeen to nine lead over Nadal. Eight slams. I think a, I think a lot of people may have said, "Well, it's going to be too much for a guy like Nadal who plays with such, you know, he goes full bore all the time. That might be too much for him to, to chase in the end." But with this one, he gets the double digits, which I think is kind of a you know a big sort of mark as it is. Once you go above ten, there's you know we're getting to the total upper echelon of players, um, Emerson, Borg, players like that. And then he's only within six of Federer now, and um, you know I don't know who I, I don't think it's a little early again to Wimbledon, but I but I think you probably would have to say that Nadal would be if if nothing else a co-favorite with Federer, but certainly you know many people's top pick to win that too for the third time in four years he could do the double. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah I think you got to look at that for sure. Yeah, so you know Nadal. Like I said, we had the we had the Djokovic's, Djokovic matches, the Isner scare in the first round. Um, it was very incremental, you know, improvement in play. I thought from Nadal because even after that Isner match, he had this Andahar second round of the that people thought, well, if he can't sort of dismiss this sort of just clay court guy and, and no problem, it really is a sign of his vulnerability. And Nadal throughout the tournament did keep reminding us of, you know, that he is not at this 2008 peak that we all sort of want to compare him to. But but once we got to the Soderling match, and you know, once that was taken care of with such, with such confidence and ease, I think a lot of people maybe were reminded that it's not going to be, you know, beating Nadal in best of three, no matter the stakes, wherever, is totally different from beating him in a best of five. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And also the fact that the bigger the match, the more intense he seems to play. And I go back to last summer where he, in the U.S. Open Series, he didn't win a title. He didn't, people thought he was vulnerable there. And then he gets to New York and really turns it up and plays better. He just has a sense of the, of the moment. And also he's a great mid-match adjuster. He knows how to adjust. He takes the information he sees from the opponent. I think he plays the opponent better than maybe the other top four or five guys. He really does adjust. I mean, people try to paint him as just a grinder and a retriever sometimes, and I don't see that. I think he's it's more, you know, you saw that even yesterday, just keep on the outside. He just kept going to the backhand, serving to the backhand every time. Then he got down, he needed that big serve, he went down the middle and surprised better. He's great at doing that, you know, reading the situation and the opponent. How did you think um, Federer, speaking of adjustments, did yesterday after he comes out to a 5-2 lead and, um, and and looks pretty, looks very much in control and eventually lets that set go away? And then the second set, it uh, you know it, it kind of got away a little quickly until a, a little rain delay happened. But but what did you think of Federer overall? Sort of how he played after Nadal got his footing into the match. You know, I thought initially he did try to show you a little bit different. McEnroe pointed out how he had moved over on the ad side a few steps, so he had the left foot in the doubles alley, so he could hit more forehand returns on the ad side. And he used the drop. He showed the drop shot a lot earlier. I think on that set point, even if he had made that drop shot, I really think Nadal would have got that ball. What he would have done with it is another. He was closing in on that. I I think he would have got that for sure. You know, I think he did try to throw more at him. For me, the whole thing was 
when it started slipping away, it was the first serve percentage that started dropping. Right. He served sensational against Djokovic, and I thought he had to either approach that or duplicate that to really have a legitimate shot against Nadal. And the first seven, eight games, he was serving at a really high level. And then once it started getting tight again, once the first serve percentage dropped, I thought that was the beginning of sort of the end for him, that you just can't give Nadal that many looks on the second ball. And also Federer with the first ball, when he gets the first serve in, he can initiate and take charge off the first serve better. And you saw him do that to Djokovic, who's probably the best returner in tennis today. Right, yeah. Djokovic, to me, uh, it's such a... I think it's going to be so interesting to see what he does going forward because on this streak that he amassed for so many months, um, you know, like I mentioned before that I think Djokovic really did, even though I think the, the pressure of this streak and everything that was on the line did sort of get to him in the end here, I really do think that he embraced this, you know, he is clearly the, the number one guy of this year, at least from the start of the calendar year up to when he finally lost Federer. Um and so, with the, with now with a loss on his on his record here, I want, seeing him and Grass and for the rest of the year, uh, I'm unsure if we're going to see a guy who wins you know 95 percent of his matches again, or if it's going to be sort of a more blotchy performance from him where, you know, he's going to have he's going to have a quarterfinal loss somewhere. He's going to do this. So I think that's more very telling of where Djokovic stands as compared to really Nadal and Federer because this tournament, if nothing else, reminded me for Nadal and Federer that, you know, it's just over the long haul, they are, they're like, just like blue chip stocks. They're always going to pay out. This is the, um, for Nadal, he's won a Grand Slam now every year since 2005, which is, I think we're at seven years now in that. And with reaching the French final, Federer has been in a Grand Slam final every year since 2003. So these are just, you know, astonishing statistics that keep getting built up every year. And you wonder, you see the potential that Djokovic has to maybe, you know, get to that sort of level of play. But um, I think the rest of the year is very telling for him, you know, what he becomes down the road as a, as a player. So, And I think also him making the decision to skip Queens, that's a, a way for him to sort of re- hit the reset button, get his head together, clear his head. I mean, the guy had played a lot of tennis, a lot of tournaments, even going back. London Davis Cup. I mean, he really didn't have a full off season, so I think that was a wise move on his part. Just let me clear my head. And he played. Look, the guy played a hell of a match. I mean, it took Federer at maybe his best ever on clay to snap that streak. So he's got nothing to hang his head. About. Yeah, I really didn't expect Djokovic to lose that match until he was down three match points. I fit. I. I you know he and he, he hung in there. He saved those. He hung in. Yeah, he saved end, two, so. and he failed to serve out the four set. But I, you know, it it got to the point after watching so many Djokovic wins this year in such a, like a superhero like way that I just sure. didn't expect him to to finally relent after. Well, I um, thought a subtle difference here was the crowd was so overwhelmingly pro Federer, and I think Roger. He's pretty self-contained a lot of times, but you saw the old Federer with the lion's roar, the fist pump. He really, I think, fed off that in that match and gave it back to the crowd. Federer was really emotional, and really, it was it was inspiring to see him still get so up for that. And I think he really kind of that, that helped him a little, you know. I, I thought. Yeah, it was um, quite a tournament on the men's side for a lot of reasons. We're going to get to the women's in just a minute. 
The longest professional tennis match lasted 11 hours, 5 minutes, and took more than 3 days to finish. During the match, there were 980 total points played, 138 games, 2,189 strokes, and 489 backhands. And combined, the players spent over 11 hours on their feet. Just imagine how much longer they could have gone if they were wearing the ASICS Gel Resolution 3. With a Flexion Fit Upper for extra stability, it's engineered to go deep into the fifth set. ASICS. Sound mind, sound body. All right, the women's side of the French Open, I present to you three more sort of topics that I kind of feel that are the, are the big takeaways for what we saw. The champion, Lina, it's her uh, return from getting to the Australian Open final. She wins the title, China's first Grand Slam singles champion. We can go on about that. That's one, of course, major event. Uh, the second, I think, uh, is... Certainly, Carol Wozniacki's sort of latest failure at a Grand Slam. This this one even earlier than, you know, the later rounds. This is a week one loss, a really desultory loss to Sabolkova. Also, combining with that, you can mention Kim Kleiss, of course, just completely vanishing after, you know, having such a lead against Arancha Roos. But I think the main part of that is Wozniacki. So that's that's number two. And number three um, is Sharapova because... She, as much, as long as it sort of took me to realize it, I think this performance does sort of validate her as, you know, maybe the Grand Slam winning Maria Sharapova is back here. This is her worst surface. She gets to the semifinals, this after a title in Rome, and we're heading into Wimbledon in the U.S. Open now, and I think many people are going to be picking Sharapova to win Wimbledon, especially with uh, the Williamses again in doubt. So of those three topics... um, Women's side, what do you think about that? Well, Lee Na, I mean, tremendous, especially considering back-to-back major finals on two different surfaces. And also for me, the powerful thing about that final was she had to confront the nerves that she bowed a little bit to in Melbourne, where she was up a set and really had that match in control. It was a tight match, but she was definitely up in that match and could have won, you can make a case, maybe should have won that final and then you saw the moment of truth again in the final Saturday where she misses a forehand down the line into the net that would have given her the four, break the 4-1 lead. And, you know, that's a tough thing to come back from. And I'm sure in her head she maybe flashed back to Melbourne. But for her to keep it together and really finish, you know, commandingly 7-0 in the breaker, I mean, that right. was a hell of an effort from her. I thought just mentally, and also the Mary Gorilla pointed out the eye contact with the box where she kind of reassured her husband and her coach, like, I'm not going to crack, I'm not going to crumble, I'm going to finish. And she finished, you know, on her feet, and as you said, what it means to tennis in China, it's going to be an explosion, I would, I would imagine. Yeah, there's two, I believe she had chances for double break twice in that second set. Um, and Schiavone is very tricky to play because Lee Na, if you look at her draw, she played a lot of flat ball hitters. All of a sudden, you're dealing with the low ball, the high ball. I mean, Schiavone's throwing everything she had at her. So, it, you know, she had room and time to think about it and choke, and she refused to choke. Yeah, Schiavone got, you know, got back that uh, that form that was missing in the opening parts of that match. And um, and once she got the break, um, you know, Lee was under a lot of pressure just to hold her own serve, not even just to break through. And she held twice. I think both were kind of 
they were far from, you know... Right, because she's serving down every game. She's down at that point. Yeah. She's got a hold to stay level. Yeah, so to win that in two sets, it was very surprising to me. I thought for sure that was that was going to go three there. And um, and if it goes three, you never know, because Schiavone is such an emotional player and really get the crowd into it. Who knows what would happen if Lee would start doubting herself. Again. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's another, I think it's something like the ninth, eighth or ninth consecutive straight sets final out of French for the women's side. But like, but like the Australian Open, these are two, those are two very, you know, um, entertaining women's sure. finals to watch. It's, it's been such an improvement over the last couple of years in the big stages. And uh, in each case, we're talking about veteran players, Kleisters, um, Lina, and uh, Schiavone again here, um, just really, you know, really pushing aside this sort of youth movement that we've kind of all wanted to see. And, uh, and it's the same thing really when even last year we with like Serena and, and it's just the, the cream of the crop is not going away. And I think it's, it's almost uh, just as pronounced on the women's side as, in the, as the men's in, in a little bit. It's just that this, this younger tier of WTA stars um, just has not been willing to make this leap up. The Azarenka's, that she made the semifinal here. Um, Wozniacki, of course, that's, that's where I want to get to next is, um, you know, world number one again and goes out in the third round. Is, it, it was so long ago, I can't, I can't remember now. Um, you know, the pressure is only going to just build on her even more. She's still number one. Um, Zvonarima number three, Kleischer's number two. But Wozniacki going forward here, I, I can only imagine this just gets harder and harder as it goes on here. Well, I think, you know, you saw just her on the Wozniak match. Even she was a little cranky, questioning a little, a few calls. I, I felt like just her body language, she was feeling the pressure and also that her, you know, clay has not been her best service, although she's won titles on clay and hasn't. I felt it really, you could see it on her, not only just the way she competed, but between points, just her demeanor. I felt like she really showed that the pressure was taking a toll. And you can only answer those questions, How when are you going to win a slam, so many times before you actually, you know, you just have to win a slam. Just right. basically shut people up because it's not talking about, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep working. Ultimately, it's in the result. You've got to produce it. And she knows that. She's she's not stupid. So, I mean, for her, to me, it goes back to the what we've spoken about in the past is the aggression and being able to recognize those key moments, as we said, Lee Not did and stepped it up and served big. And Wozniacki has yet to show that she can she can do that. I do think she's capable of doing that. But, you know, it's one thing having the mindset. It's another thing executing it and she's just got to get more aggressive and more offensive because you don't you don't play prevent defense to win a major you got to step up and take it and hit the shots and, and she hasn't done that yet right but she's a young you know she's a young player she's a maturing player you know it's going to take some time i still like kavitova's game more because i think it's right. she can dictate and she can take the match and wozniaki is still a bit too reactive for me you know yeah there's uh you know, one player who doesn't have to worry about aggression is, is Sharapova. And like we said here, um, Rome champion goes into Roland Garros, gets to the semis. Uh, it should be said she really needed a complete collapse from um, Carolyn Garcia way sure. back in round one to get through this. Um, and she also needed essentially a, a retirement from Azarenka to win Rome. So, but Hey, and Radwanska tested her a little bit in that match. I mean, you know. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But what she did, the pet convict, she pounded her first, you know. I mean, if I'm Sharapova, I'm ecstatic going into Wimbledon, especially given we don't know, you know, Venus and Serena, who knows? Yeah, I, I mean, I think most people, I think a lot of people are going to have her as their as their favorite there. And, um, you know, the surf, the surf still really is, a, is kind of like a, a cover my eye thing, and, and it finally sort of reared itself in the last match, 10 double faults. Um, and the one on match the one on match point was like you know you don't expect that from someone like her. I know see I actually see I actually that, saw I I sort of called that in my head I was thinking I was trying to think of back to when it reminded me very much actually of when Safina double faulted on championship point at Roland Garros a couple years back I was like I just think this is going to be one of those just too much pressure really yeah. and but and that's when a serve like that tends to break down but but overall. Um, you can't say anything really negatively about Cherapova. This, you know, even even that Garcia match where the crowd was just begging for, sure. you know, that's like a, you know, that's that's a moment that fans, if you're there to see this rising star get her first scalp, and, and you know, they were wanting that win terribly, and you know, Sharapova got it uh, at the end of the match. You could really tell that it, you know, it meant a lot for her just to get back, even against a 17 year old wild card. So I think for Sharapova, it's uh, it's a, a victory, even though there was obviously a loss at the end for her there. So yeah, absolutely, and like you said, that's her that's her least favorite surface to win Rome to beat the players she beat, including the world number one, and then to carry that over into Paris and get to the semi. I mean, I, I think she's a major major uh, contender for Wimbledon, and I think as you said, for me, the concern for her is you've got to learn to gear down the serve according to the score. And the situation, and I hear people lauding her all the time. Well, that's her strength. She goes after it, but you don't double fault on match point in a major semifinal. You can't put yourself in that position. So I think she's still a little bit stubborn on the serving that, hey, I'm just going to keep banging it and they're going to drop. But sometimes you've got to give yourself a little more margin. And you saw Federer in his comments after the Nadal match look, I play with less margin. It's not up to me. To take the risk, and I think with her, if she just gives herself a little bit of, of more margin on the serve, especially the second serve, she's going to be in great shape. And I think Hogstead's a percentage guy, and I think he's going to I think he's going to help her with that. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's the next step. But if she does that, I mean, she's hitting the ball beautifully, and she's competing as ferociously as she ever has. She's still only twenty four, right. and and right. somebody I think it was um, Camera who mentioned it, but. It's so strange. We've seen Sharapova play for so long now, and she plays Pekovic, and someone mentioned that she's only four months older than yeah. Pekovic, which is just, of all the stats, that was one of the most astounding ones. I, I mean, and ever. even we're talking about the young players like Wozniacki, Kvitova, Azarenka. She's not that much older than them no. either. She's yeah. just been around a lot yeah. longer, and yeah. she knows how to win. Yeah, know? it's a big opportunity for her with how the landscape is. If she really has come back and turned the corner you think that Sharapova could clean up and really, you know, really become on her way to, to be one of those players that we look down at, looking back in history and say, well, this is one of the great players. But that, I think, we're going to see how that plays out. And look, the U.S. Open is now the fastest surface in terms of majors, and she's won the U.S. Open. She's one, still one of the harder hitters of flat ball on that surface. She's going to be really, really tough. This this is prime time for her from grass right through the end of the open. This is where she can really 
really make her move, maybe get back to the top three, maybe, yeah. if she's healthy. Yeah, we will see. All right, well, that's uh, that's the wrap on the French Open. It's been a long couple weeks, but uh, we hope you enjoyed all our coverage, and we will be back, of course, right before Wimbledon begins. Uh, so for Richard Pagliaro, I'm Ed McGrogan. Thanks for listening to the Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.